This is The Noted Liar, a podcast of short stories. Number one, In Loco, by Glyn Cannon. If you think about a thing hard enough, do you think just by thinking about that thing, you can make that thing snap? asked David. Yes, possibly, replied Jennifer, absently. Satisfied, David slapped his half-eaten sandwich back onto the green plastic plate in front of him and bounded off his chair back into the play area. Jennifer scratched another number into her Sudoku. Locomotion was North Cambridge's leading soft play in children's parties venue, and today was mercifully quiet. The large warehouse sat at the end of a long track off the A14, where it had been for years a ramshackle outlet of discounted furniture. The farmer that owned the site had eventually tired of the furniture company and cleared the building, ploughing his cash into locomotion, a brightly coloured destination for weary parents and sugared offspring. It had proved highly lucrative. Some bright spark had come up with a railway theme and a minor play on words for the whole enterprise, loco, as in crazy, motion, as in motion. The play area was split into two major zones, little chuggers for the smaller guests and high rollers for the more rambunctious kickers and punchers. The employees were once fully styled as train guards but now only sported branded waistcoats over whatever tops and jeans they had thrown on half an hour before opening. Jennifer sat in one of the buffet car booths next to the snack bar. Towering above her on the wall was a foam board mounted cartoon of a large purple train engine. It grinned with crazy fun-time eyes and wore the obligatory cowcatcher and wide-funnel smokestack that had never actually existed on any train in England. Through the window beside her, the rain was still sputtering into the empty car park's many full potholes. Looking up for her totals, Jennifer quickly scanned the room for her charges. David was up in the rafters of the larger play zone, swinging upside down from a hoop. Matty, she could see silhouetted in the tunnel to the smaller zone, talking to a girl smaller than her. From the animated body language... Jennifer could see Matty eagerly instructing the younger girl in some kind of wild story that was just about to burst into a flowing chase through the play area. Any moment now. These were not her children or grandchildren. Matty and David were the grandchildren of her best friend Ruth. Ruth and Jennifer had known each other since they were teenagers. They found themselves at Cambridge together. They found themselves in jobs less than a mile apart in London. They had only diverged when Ruth had married and moved to a village near Peterborough, and Jennifer had married and moved to Singapore with a man with grand ambitions in finance and a tendency towards sulks and self-pity entirely unsuited to those ambitions. His mediocrity expressed itself in rage and despondency, and Jennifer soon realised this was always going to be the case. They divorced, and she returned to the United Kingdom to a flat in Cambridge. The years thereafter alternated between long periods of perfectly fine on my own thanks, and then passionate, but in hindsight, superficial affairs and Jennifer eventually found herself middle-aged, single, and perfectly content in a village north of the city. Meanwhile, Ruth had raised four children, two girls and two boys, and they had all grown up sickeningly wholesome and balanced, and all knew Jennifer well. She joined the family regularly for Christmas, and was an unquestioned guest at wider family events, weddings, anniversaries, and funerals. She had babysat Ruth's children overnight on a monthly basis since moving back to Cambridgeshire, right up until the moment the eldest child had usurped her with mercenary glee. That was fine by Jennifer. It meant she could actually join Ruth and her husband on their evenings out rather than constantly waving them off 
and reassuring them over the phone. When the grandchildren arrived, it had been perfectly natural for Jennifer to be involved. The first time that Ruth, unable to be everywhere at once, had delegated to Jennifer grandmotherly duties, it had been vigorously queried by Ruth's daughter-in-law, but the return of a calm, beaming toddler ended any unease. Auntie Jennifer Days quickly became a staple among Ruth's grandchildren, representing a day of treats, but not too many, and a bending of the rules, but not too far. The time when Jennifer regularly faced questioning about the lack of her own children had passed. In her head, she put this down to society growing more generally sensitive and scared of offence. In her heart, she knew it was simply a matter of her age. If you were old enough that your children were likely grown up, their absence was obvious and uninteresting. It was good to be free of it. Irrespective of how much Jennifer did or did not feel the lack of any children, the question had power. As benignly as it could be raised, it carried an edge to it only the childless really knew. Defend or be wounded. They were your only options. She used to feel relieved to have never been a parent of young children, having seen its drastic effects on the energy and character of so many of her friends. It seemed that such a large chunk of her person was lost to it. Conversations became stilted and useless as attention drained from them every few minutes. Excitement for the future became apprehension, and lust for change, or even just lust, became raw guilt. What replaced that lost portion? Nothing that amazing, as far as Jennifer could tell. Via Ruth and Ruth's children, she had observed the general trauma of childbirth, if not the immediate physical shock. Whatever the circumstances of a birth, however personal and incomparable, which they always were, they nonetheless uniformly wrote one of the great stories of a parent's life, if not the story. Given the magnitude of such an event, you could see how it would be seductive to the parental ego to imagine that they had somehow invented the whole act of parenthood. Thus seduced, any other kind of intervention in your parenting was quite obviously an outrage, even from the human beings that had somehow managed to be your own parents, especially from them. Only a couple of days earlier, the latest example. In a crowded coffee shop, she had stood to leave, only for a frowning young mother with a baby on her shoulder to suddenly slap a nappy and a packet of wet wipes on the table in an angry marking of territory. Her harassed father had followed immediately after with a tray of food. Perhaps it might be easier if I got out of the way first, Jennifer had brightly offered. The couple had not even looked up at her. She had been invisible. No, today, locomotion seemed relatively free of parents and all the karma for it. In another booth, a lady of a similar age to Jennifer was chatting animatedly to her presumed grandson, given a striking likeness. At a table, Jennifer recognised two young childminders that Ruth had described to her before, notable for their fierce undercuts and their complete lack of interest in the handful of children squabbling at their feet. She looked up again to see Matty running towards her. At four, she was still tied to some emotional bungee that required her to bounce back at intervals to confirm presence or attention or availability. Sometimes that meant running back in tears after some minor slight or bump. This time seemed tear-free. Matty simply ran back to the table and slipped her arms around Jennifer's waist and squeezed. Jennifer was caught entirely unawares. It was that irregular a sensation, these small arms tugging at her middle, that she found herself gasping slightly. I've made a friend. Oh? Who's that? I'll go get her. Matty ran back into the tunnel. A moment later she emerged again, tugging a younger girl by the hand. No more than just three, the smaller girl beamed as she was dragged to the table. This is... What is your name again? Alex, said the little girl. Well, lovely to meet you, Alex, said Jennifer. 
Lovely to meet you, parroted Alex. Jennifer grinned widely, utterly charmed. Alex smiled back at her, big green eyes set in a pale, pure face, and long dark hair. We're playing rabbits, said Matty. Chickens, corrected Alex quietly. Yes, chickens, being chased by a fox. Let's go. Matty ran off. Alex shyly grinned again at Jennifer before following Matty away from the table. Rather than rushing straight back into the play structure, she diverted to another table, where in whispers she consulted with a man nursing a coffee, before she followed Matty into the tunnel. Jennifer had not noticed the man before. He was sat with his back to her, but now turned and nodded. While clearly a lot younger than Jennifer, his face was grey and tired, and his clothes faded and drained. He looked over-laundered. That's my daughter, he helpfully offered. She's lovely, returned Jennifer. The man fully turned and stood up, stretching. Jennifer smiled benignly. She was finding the Sudoku dissatisfying. Any adult conversation would be fine, actually. And those are your grandchildren? Yes, Jennifer lied. Jennifer's face dropped in horror. She had lied without hesitation, and she felt her cheeks immediately redden. The man missed any reaction. He sat himself down at her booth without asking and offered a hand. I'm Michael. Uh, hello, Jennifer. Her mind was racing. She glanced over towards David and Matty. Either of them would rush up any moment to call her auntie. She should correct the man straight away. Michael, was that what he just said? Michael? What could she possibly say? Grandchildren. Sorry, I meant nephew and niece. I mean, no, not even nephew and niece, really, just grandchildren of my best friend. I just promoted myself to grandmother in the moment. Not a terrible lie, surely. No, just one without any reasonable explanation, which probably makes for the worst lies of all. The chance was passing quickly. I misheard you, she could still say. I said yes without thinking. How funny, how awkward. Alex has taken a shine to your granddaughter. Your granddaughter, your granddaughter, your granddaughter. Yes, she has. The chance was gone. Ground into the dirt. Do you come here a lot? Here? No. Well, the children do. She could not quite place his accent. Scottish or Northern Irish, watered down by something local. Alex loves places like this. Always makes friends. Sit down, she's gone. Don't see her again until it's time to go. Catch up on my reading. Oh, what are you reading? Oh, no, I didn't bring anything today. What do you do? I'm a senior administrator for... Oh, no, I meant here. Well, they're playing. What is that, Sudoku or something? Not your actual job, of course, Jennifer. Why would you have an actual job, Jennifer? You're a grandmother, Jennifer. That is your job. That is your whole identity. Your whole fake identity grasped out of thin air only seconds ago. Sudoku, yes, I'm not very good at it. Crosswords, that was my grandmother's thing. Cryptic crosswords. I could never wrap my head around them. It's more like mind reading, no logic to it I could ever see. He bowed his head, defeated. Maybe by crosswords, maybe by something else. The echoey thunder of feet on stuffed PVC and whoops and cries and shouts rushed back between them for a moment. I hope you don't mind me saying, Michael poked up. You look very awake for a grandparent. Jennifer smiled weakly. My parents always looked exhausted with my brother's kids. Happy, you know, delighted, but fucking half dead constantly. Sorry. Michael glanced around, embarrassed by his cursing, maybe expecting some kind, gentle admonishment from Jennifer, who had blankly accepted it. I can see how they can be tiring. 
Jennifer panicked. I mean, yes, I can see how other... Yes, going by my experience. Well, they're whole dead now, joked Michael, so that's on my brother's kids at least. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm just kidding, he added as Jennifer leaned back uncomfortably. They both puffed in relief as Alex returned to the table, climbing into the booth next to her father. He made her get up again so he could retrieve her plate and cup from the other table. She sipped her milk and methodically plucked crisps from around a toasted sandwich. I'm sure it's cool enough now, darling, offered Michael gently. Out of the corner of her eye, Jennifer saw Matty at the edge of the play area, surveying the booth. If Matty came and sat down with them, the game was up, surely. She would blurt her confusion as she listened in on their conversation, and then she turned and ran back into the play area. Jennifer felt terrible for willing her away. Do you look after them a lot? asked Michael. When I'm asked, replied Jennifer. Not untrue, she thought, applauding herself for that at least. Many more grandchildren? A handful, she lied. She was in the swing of this now, this little game. Do you live somewhere nice? I mean, somewhere nice and big for all those grandchildren? It's lovely. Jennifer's little cottage was lovely. It had a lovely small garden full of very deliberate beds of wildflowers and a cosy, well-shelved front room with bookcases full of her small collection of first editions and populated by teetering glass and china treasures from years of holidays. Her favourite thing in it was a large armchair she could comfortably sit and read in for hours, with cream upholstery, totally intolerant of crumbs or fingerprints. And do you think you're good at it? Excuse me? Parenting. Grand parenting. That's quite a question. Ha! No, laughed Michael. I'm too direct. That's just the way I am. Sorry. But you know, I don't mean, are you off down the pub any opportunity you get, having sent them to bed with a glass of milk if they're lucky and a clip round the ear if they're even luckier? No, of course not. I mean, you're hardly going to reply, yes, yes, exactly that. He laughed heartily at that idea. No, I, I just mean, I guess, what is the thing? What is the most important thing about it to you? That is a good question, thought Jennifer. Out of something strange, yes, but a totally valid question, one which she was totally unqualified and unjustified in answering. What would Ruth say? What has she ever said? Kindness? Kindness, yes. Yes, kindness. I think that's the one thing, isn't it? You have to be shown it to know it. Hmm. Michael lowered his head in thought, seemingly processing the answer deeply. Auntie Jennifer? David shouted from the topmost floor of the play structure, and Jennifer's stomach flipped. Auntie Jennifer, look up here, look what I can do. Michael stood up, suddenly. I've just... I've left my phone in my car, I might need it. Would you mind just keeping an eye on Alex for a second? Oh, yes, of course. He bent down and gave Alex a kiss on the head before strolling out. If Michael had noticed David's shouting at all, he had not acknowledged it. Now he was gone, Jennifer looked up at David and smiled. David huffed in frustration at the slow response and ran off. Alex, entirely nonplussed about being left with Jennifer, continued to sip her milk and pick at her toasty. Are you having a nice day with Daddy Alex? She nodded. Is he a fun daddy? Alex nodded again. He's a good cooker, Alex offered. He makes me pancakes. Oh, that sounds good. Tasty. Alex put down her cup of milk and shimmied off the booth bonquette. Before running off to rejoin Matty, she turned to Jennifer and broadly grinned. Thank you for watching me. You're welcome, Alex, and you're a lovely girl to have such good manners. 
Alex ran off, little legs double-timing. Jennifer watched her all the way back in. Matty saw Alex coming to her and stopped to offer a hand to help the younger child climb. Quickly, they disappeared behind netting and foam to continue their adventure. Jennifer turned back to her puzzle book, but then closed it. With three to watch, she should concentrate. She turned herself towards the play area. Even though she currently could not see them, she was there. She was listening and available. If David came back with something to show her, she would be there. She felt she should own up to Michael when he came back in. To claim these children, even just for a moment of misunderstanding, was a theft. It was an insult to the good work this man had obviously done so well with his daughter. For all she knew, he was a single father. It was just him and Alex struggling away, his parents gone, his brother estranged somehow. Even so, here he was, raising a beautiful, polite and confident little girl. For Jennifer to breeze in, to play at parentage of any level, what an insult, or a smack in the face to his daily existence. At the end of the day, not even then, in a matter of hours, Jennifer would return David and Matty to their mother, and happily saunter back to her cottage, make herself a cup of tea and curl up into a big cream armchair with a book. There would be nobody there needing attention or feeding or wiping down. There would be no noise. What a fraud to pretend otherwise. As she felt the anger at herself rising, she wondered whether it might be wiser to say nothing, just gather the children in the hope that they would not say anything damning in all the bustle of departure. A few minutes passed before she realised that Michael had not returned. Standing to look out of the window of the play centre, she was relieved to spot the outline of Michael sat in his car. Presumably he had sat to make a phone call of something. As she watched now, though, he saw that he was hunched over his steering wheel, gripping it tightly. His shoulders were convulsing, in deep sobs of pain. Panicking, Jennifer looked for the children. She would have to rush out there. Something terrible had happened. She would have to gather him up, see how she could help, ferry them all back to where they needed to go, console, gather, shepherd. Before she could move, she saw Michael sit back up, wiping his hands over his eyes and head. He started the car and turned to reverse out of his parking space. Jennifer watched in horror as the car swung out. Her mind raced. He was leaving. He was leaving his little girl behind. Jennifer would have to call the police. They would come and talk to Alex. They would ask who she was. Who was her daddy? Does she know her address? Were they even from around here? Does she know her full name? Jennifer could not be sure if Matty did at that age. Would she even want to say anything at all? Surrounded by strangers, her lovely daddy, the great cooker of pancakes, gone. Number plate, number plate. A parked car between Jennifer and Michael blocked her view. And what would they do with the police if they could not establish who the girl was? Where would she go? Social workers? Where would they take her? Where would she be tonight? Where could she be? Jennifer and Alex tucked up together on the big cream armchair, warm glasses of milk at her hand, a storybook on their lap. Jennifer glanced towards the children, catching sight of the outline of Alex and Matty in the middle floor of the playframe, jumping together, jumping together as high as they could. And then she turned desperately back to the window as Michael's car pulled away. Turn around, turn around. No, don't. No, don't. No, don't.
In Loco was written and read by Glyn Cannon. The music, To a Place of Safety, was by Fiona Bryce and is available on Apple Music and Spotify. You can follow The Noted Liar at www.thenotedliar.com and another story will be along soon.